So, uh, hello guys. Um, so I know I said that the uh, reflections for for um for the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, chapters four, five, and six is coming, and it is coming. But uh, I got something recently. I had a talk with someone, and um, basically it was it was a whole bunch of stuff, and it's uh, I don't want to get into it, but. Today we're going to be reading a script. Um, uh, this script is a is a super is a is a script for a superhero film. Even though the he, the person involved is a more of a has been a villain, and then this is an anti-hero. Um, so, and basically, I wanted to do this because I wanted to make this an episode because. I don't know. I I was just, I was just I don't re- I don't want to read the script like at all. I was not interested in reading the script, and also um, I I pref- I'm a visual learner. I'm a visual type of so I'm a visual learner. So I like seeing things. Not I although I like reading. So that kind of contradicts what I just said. But I like seeing like when you're watching. I like like. If you're reading a script, so I like seeing things happening on the screen, like in a movie, in a TV show or a movie. But reading it on paper, you you could imagine what it sounds like, but that's 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 more that's less fun to me. That's why I like. That's why I'm a visual learner. I like seeing things. But anyways, <clears throat> so a couple. Of, uh, I guess um, not much else to say except that. If uh, um, Spotify for podcasters will be unavailable tomorrow between 8 and 10 a.m. Because they're going to do some system maintenance. So, yeah, uh, uh, they sent out an email. So, yeah, so I have to. So Spotify for podcasters is not going to be available tomorrow. So I, I, I don't know if it's just for, I think it's just for everyone. Um, I think, I don't know. I, so yeah, I think it will be unavailable for the pot, for the creators and people to listen to. No. Alright. Never mind. I don't think so. Cause there's plenty of other, uh, sites that you could listen to the episode. So never mind about that. But Spotify for podcasters will be unavailable tomorrow between any, between eight to 10 AM. So while we do some system maintenance. So yeah. So um the script <clears throat> the script they're gonna be reading. I guess um so I guess the reason I wanted to I wanted to make this into an episode is because I was as I said before, I'm more of a visual I'm a visual learner, but also I was I just didn't want to read it like to, by myself just to read I like yeah, I didn't want to read it by myself. I'm still gonna be reading it by myself, but I just more uh it's kind of better this way because I'm not just reading it to read it, although I am reading it to read it because I have to, like, um, I like, I don't know, explain some things I like or don't like or something like that, and, um, I guess it's better to do it this way instead of just not recording an episode, so I just wanted to take this opportunity to do this, um, so, yeah. So the script we're going to be reading today is Venom by David S. Goyer, um, based on the Marvel comic character. And so far, the, the thoughts I have on the script are, I'm on page 17, but I'm going to be starting over for for the purpose of this. I'm going to be starting over, and I'm on, I got to page, page, um, I got to page 16. Before I gave up reading it yesterday. And so far from what I've read, I'm just not interested in the script at all. But it's it's very, it's still, it's still plenty early in the script. So they could, so it, things might turn around, but I don't know. So, yeah, let's just get started with it. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, David S. Goyer. I know that name, though. He, like, um... I've heard that name. Like he, um, he's done some. 
like he's done some um yeah yeah there you go so yeah yeah he so what I know him most for is for writing the for writing screenplays for several um for so what I've known him for is him writing screenplays for several superhero films so we have uh we have um I I so he he so I'm looking at Wikipedia I know Wikipedia isn't the most reliable but it says he's written the screenplays for several superhero films so including Nick Fury Agents of Shield which is a 1998 American television superhero film based on the Marvel Comics character Nick Fury um yeah uh there's that um, it was first broadcast on May 26, 1998 on Fox, intended to be intended to be a backdoor pilot for a possible movie TV movie new TV series written by David Goyer and directed by Rod Hardy. Don't know who that is, but yeah, he's apparently a Australian television film director. The film had a six million dollar production budget. And it stars David Hasselhoff as Fury, a retired super spy who is approached to return to duty to take down the terrorist organization Hydra. If you guys know Captain America, then Hydra is a big part of that um of that um of his world. So yeah. Uh, and continuing on with the plot, who threatened to attack Manhattan with the pat pathogen they have constituted known as the death death hand death hand death head virus there we go sorry uh um so so the, there's that he he wrote the blade trilogy which is so blade one two and three which is blade trinity blade trinity uh and from 1998 to, 2000, to 2004, he wrote Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Trilogy from 2005 to 2012. And as you guys know, Batman is my favorite hero of all, favorite superhero. And if you don't want to call him a superhero, hero of all time. So The Dark and The Dark Knight is such a good film. But uh, uh, let's continue on. Uh, so he did. So The Dark Knight Trilogy, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um... And he, uh, so yeah, those are all the superhero films he directed. And he also, uh, direct, he also directed Blade Trinity. So yeah, there's that too. Um, yeah, so, uh, let's, um, continue on. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to do a little bit of, uh, um, I, uh, wanted to do a little, uh, History, like, no. I just wanted to build up to reading the script. So we did a, we, we, um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, it's, excuse me. As we, um, um, yeah, let me see. So yeah, I guess it is history. We wanted to give a bit of history before we got into reading the script. So yeah, um, so yeah, here we go. Venom by David S. Go by David S. Goyer, based on the Marvel comic character, February seventh, nineteen ninety-seven. Venom, Faden, exterior, Saint Estes Psychiatric Hospital, night. Super title, Christmas, 1975, St. Estes Psychiatric Hospital Children's Ward. Sirens, screams, snow falls on the city that never sleeps as we isolate an urban gothic fortress. The hospital is on fire. Crowds have gathered in the street below, milling, milling about as patients and doctors alike flee the burning building. Fire trucks have arrived on the scene. Ambulance. Ambulances, it's chaos. <clears throat> Interior, 
St. Estes, hallway, night, an inferno, an inferno. Three firemen rush through the burning smoke-filled corridors until they find a wounded orderly who stumbles into their arms. He coughs, pointing back the way he came. Orderly. Sorry. I'm... I don't know why it's so hard for me to say some words, but sorry. Um, kid named Cassidy. He started the fire, choking. He's got another kid hostage. One of the firemen wraps the orderly's arm over his shoulder, carry, carries him away. The other two head on. Interior St. Estes Nursing Station night. The firemen enter, see an unconscious order, orderly lying on the floor. The smoke is thick here, flames beginning to lick at the walls. Two more orderlies are negotiating with the murderous child in question. Cletus, Cletus Cassidy, 14. The Bad Seed, Mark II. Eyes like oily black black marbles. Uneven teeth. Flame red hair. A face dotted with freckles. Big enough and mean enough to take someone twice his size. Cassidy, Cassidy has a makeshift shiv against the throat, against the throat of another kid. Eddie Brock, 9. Eddie is Cassidy's opposite in every way. Small, meek, terrified out of his wits. Willie Benting, 20s, the head orderly, (coughs) tries to edge towards them. Let him go, Cassidy. You're never going to get out of here that way. A cruel smile creeps across Cassidy's face. That's what you think, Benting, but we know different, don't we, Eddie? Tightening Tightening his grip. Eddie Weddy's his number one pal tonight. He's his he's my ticket out of here. Just then a section of the ceiling caves in, sending down a torrent of burning debris. Cassidy and Eddie are now effectively cut off from the others by a wall of flame. And this script is also 119 pages, so yeah. Um so we have a a long way to go. Especially with me starting over. But anyways, back to reading the script. Cassidy takes the opportunity to drag Eddie backwards towards a door. A door? What is a door? A door marked exit. Cassidy. Stairwell. Cassidy drags Eddie up to the smoke-filled stairwell, round and round, up towards the up towards the roof access door. Interior, St. Estes. Rooftop, night. Boom. Cassidy kicks open the access door. He shoves Eddie forward, who stumbles and falls. Cassie turns back to the door, finds a wooden plank nearby. He jams one end of it beneath the door handle, the other against the roof. Then he turns, jumping up onto the narrow roof ledge, daring the gods to let him fall. Cassidy's POV. Mayhem on the streets mayhem on the streets below. The fire trucks, the police, the mobs of people. Cassidy, share the pain. You hear me, people? Share the pain. Someone directs a spotlight up at him. Cassidy laughs, waving his shiv at the crowd. He's having the time of his life. He's King Kong in Cagney. Or Cagney. I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah. All rolled into one. He drops back down from the ledge. Approaches Evie. Beautiful, ain't it? Look at him down there, running around like a bunch of insects. You'd think I kicked over an ant hill, an ant hill, or something. Eddie suddenly leaps to his feet, screaming, assailing Cassidy with his fist. It's a valiant effort, but Eddie's just too damn small. Cassidy socks Eddie in the face, giving him a nosebleed. Then he socks him in the stomach for good measure. Jeez, you're 14. He's only nine. Damn. I can understand he's a serial killer, but like, he's much smaller than you, bro. Cassidy grabs Eddie by the collar, dragging him towards the roof ledge, shoving his face out over the abyss. Cassidy, how about it, Eddie? Want to see what it's like to fly? Eddie, tears stinging his, tears stinging his eyes. No, Cassidy, I can't hear you. Eddie, no. Cassidy, Cassidy, know what your problem is, Eddie? You're weak. You're a fearhead. Just like all the others, Cassidy drag, drags Eddie back, gesturing at him with a shiv. Eddie stares up at him, 
wiping the blood from his nose. With a click flick of his wrist, Cassidy cuts Eddie's cheek. Cassidy, your life is mine. Forever. You remember that. One of these day one of these day one of these days, I'm gonna come back. And when I do, heads are gonna roll. Cassidy turns. We hear banging on the ex on the access door now. People trying to knock it off its hinges. He looks back at Eddie. At Eddie. Eddie grins. Gives him a good natured slap. You keep in touch. Cassidy steps away, heading towards the other end of the roof. He gauges the distance between this roof and for the next, a gap of some 20 feet. He smiles up for the insane challenge. Insane challenge. Takes a running start, leaps. Young Cassidy sails through the air, just barely clearing the gap, tumbling to safety. He picks himself back up, grinning from ear to ear. Grinning from ear to ear. He shouts back to Eddie. I'm going to fix Cassidy. I'm going to fix them, Eddie. You'll see. I'm going to fix them all. And with that, Cassidy is gone, disappearing off into the disappearing off into the shadows of the neighboring room. Angle back on Eddie, sniffling, his face stained with blood, suit, and tears. Dissolve too. And then when we get to this part, this is where I start losing interest. Like I was kind of interested with the way the script started, but when we get to this stuff that's coming up, I just lose interest. Um, and then it's the where I was, I still the um I was I the script hadn't picked picked back up like it hadn't it so I lost interest and then I the script hadn't gained my interest back on the page that I from where I was from page sixteen so yeah but here we go dissolve to exterior space darkness stars we were drifting through the silent reaches. Dropping down towards a storm-shrouded planet. Super title. A planet circling 47 Ursae Majoris. Majoris. 35 light years from, that, from Earth. As the gravitational force of this unheavenly body pulls us inward, the illusion of serenity is shattered by the wail of, treach of treacherous, treacherous winds. winds. The bone-jarring bellows of thunder. We are dropping faster now, plunging through churning clouds and fields of lightning until we are exterior, planet of the symbiotes, night, a nightmare world, a blasted, boiling landscape of anthracite trapped beneath a seething sea of sulfurous clouds. The storm is deafening here, biblical, a techno-organic. Citadel rises up before us looking like a gargantuan termite mound, all jagged edges and alien geometry. This is the prime hive of the symbiotes. We hear an unearthly shriek, shriek, and we are interior, symbiote, hive, corridor, night. Rushing through the corkscrew tunnels of the hive, something is running for its life, scurrying spider-like on its six legs. It pauses in an alcove, in an alcove, breathing heavily. The other, as we will come to know it, turns towards us, dead black with a stylized white spider on its chest. And as we know, Venom, he has an all-black suit with a giant white spider on his chest. So I, 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 I noticed that immediately when I read that the first time yesterday. But yeah, continuing on. <clears throat> or I remembered that um, immediately when I was reading this part yesterday. Now we can continue. An enormous mouth filled with shark-like teeth. The creature is actually two organisms fused together in a symbiotic relationship. An arachnid-like host, like host clothed within an amoeboid parasite. But never mind that now because from further down the twisting corridors, we hear a horrifying sound, the hunting cry of the symbiotes, dominant predators of this nightmare planet. The other reacts in fear, renewing its flight, renewing its flight. The pursuing horde of symbiotes fills the corridor like a tidal wave. These creatures are leaner and meaner than the other. Their multi-limbed bodies are blood red, 
instead of black with no stylized spiders on their chest. So this seems so those are like so those are um the colors of Carnage's suit or symbiote, which is red with black. Um the nearest creature, a blood hunter, bigger and badder than the rest by far, snarls in anger. It belches out a pseudopod a caustic webbing from its mouth like some kind of nightmarish frog trying to snatch its prey. The other. The other ducks the pseudopod, which slams into the, into the wall. The blood hunter shrieks in anger as the other ducks into another cor corridor. And as the jaw-gnashing, chittering horde swarms, swarms after the other in pursuit. In pursuit. Interior, symbiote hive, launch chamber, night. We're entering an, an immense domed chamber, which houses a, gl a glowing launch pod. The pod, which recalls a pulsing Dali-esque analog of the moon lander, rests within a nest of web-like gantries and steaming other arterial, arterial fuel cables. Close on a circular door as it slurps open, edges retracting. <clears throat> Edges retracting like a dilating diaphragm. The other storms through, scurrying madly along a gantry towards the pod. Other diaphragm doors pulse open throughout the chamber, spilling out the blood-crazed symbiotes. They rush for forward, hoping to intercept their escaping other on the launch pod. As a portion of the shell retracts, the other climbs inside, nestling, nestling itself within a kelp-like flight harness. With its four arms, the other reaches up, furiously flicking cartilage, thorn ignition toggles. The launch pod seals its, itself shut and incinerates the first wave of symbiotes, of symbiotes in a biofusion blast of engine wash, of engine wash. Green fire fills the launch chamber as the pod hurdles upwards, smashing through the domed ceiling like the great glass elevator in Wonka World. Exterior, planet of the symbiotes, night. The launch pod screams heavenward, quickly leaving the prime hive, the prime hive behind. In seconds, it's punching its way through the lightning-laced atmosphere, straining to break, to break free of the planet's tyrannical G-force. Exterior space. As the launch pod slingshots around the symbiote planet, the sound of its roaring engines quickly diminishes. The launch pod is now just another gleaming point of light in a sea of stars. Interior, symbiote, launch pod, night. Within the womb-like confines of the pod, the other breathes a sigh of relief. It lowers its limbs around itself, cur curling up into a fetal position and sleeps, dissolved to exterior, trailer park, night. Eddie Brock, now 30s, stands before a beleaguered mo mo mobile home, eyeing it skeptically. The scar on his cheek is still visible, though, considerably faded by some 20-odd years. The scars on his psyche, though, are another question entirely. Basically, Eddie's grown up to be the type of guy who's always taken it on the chin. Assisting Eddie is Winslow is Wins is Winslow Faust, twenties, a cop a copiously pierced modern primitive primitive photographer with a penchant for junk food. Not the brightest guy in the world. Eddie rings the doorbell. As they wait, Faust takes note of some concrete statuary, artfully placed by some beat to beat to crap lawn furniture. Faust, garden gnomes. Cool. Just then the trailer door opens, and there, and there stands Minnie Oliphant, three hundred pounds of sugar-coated welfare fun. Eddie, Minnie Oliphant, Minnie, excited. You must be the gentleman from the Daily Weekly, Eddie. That's right. I'm Eddie Brock. This is my photographer Winslow Faust. You phoned us about Minnie, the abduction. Come right in, please. We've been waiting for you. Stepping back, I'm a huge fan of your publication. You know, huge. Read all the tabloids. 
Eddie, yeah, well, we pride ourselves on, a, on our discriminating taste. As Faust enters, he shoots a surreptitious glance back to Eddie, rolls his eyes. Interior, mobile home, night. Eddie looks around the cluttered trailer, white trash arama. There's a generic husband parked in front of an alien TV, a bulldog, a couple of snot-nosed children. He pulls out a notepad. Faust takes some photos. So what exactly happened? That was Eddie. Minnie. Well, I was sitting here watching the shopping network. They had this collectible doll. Hour from 10 to 11 when I seen when I seen the strange light come from come down from the sky. Next thing I know, I'm feeling woozy, kind of feverish. Like that's when I wake up on their craft. Their craft? That was Eddie. That's right. Minnie. That's right. Alien alien grays. You know the short ones with the big eyes. They probed me. They probed me. With their devices, see? They put a microchip inside my head. Her voice dropping to a modest whisper. Then they impregnated me. Eddie nods, trying his level best to keep a straight face. He looks to the crib. Eddie, could we see the space baby, please? Minnie waddles, waddles, waddles over to the crib. She pulls back the blankets, revealing a squirming little blue thing. Thou snaps off a few shots. Eddie, that's a pot-bellied pig. Minnie, insulted. It's an alien. I should know I pulled the damn thing from my own loins. Eddie, sighing. It's a pig. You painted it blue. Just then the husband rises from his chair, furious. Husband, God damn it. God damn it, woman. I told you I told you they wouldn't fall for it. Minnie, you shut your mouth, Henry Bean. In short order. Minnie and her husband are embroiled in a free-for-all. Knick-knacks go flying. The TV is smashed. The crib is overturned. The piglet escapes. The bulldog starts barking, chasing the pig. The kids start crying. Eddie, hey, hey! Eddie tries to pull Minnie off her husband, then finds himself on the wrong end of one of her fists. Pow! Right in the face. Exterior, mobile home, trailer park, night. Eddie and Faust come hightailing, come hightailing it out the door with many hot on their heels. They scramble into their car, locking locking themselves in. Eddie keys the ignition, guns it, fish tailing around the yard. Only here comes Minnie, lumbering after them like some force of nature. She picks up one of the garden gnomes, heaving it like a shot putt. Wham! The gnome takes out Eddie's rear windshield, but somehow winds up on the back seat, still intact. Cut to exterior. City Street, night. We are floating down along the trash strewn by ways of urban America. Junkies and hustlers. Noise, lights, end of the proverbial line. Camera and cam, camera end frames on the rundown building. Headquarters for the Daily Weekly. So I'm going to have to stop this recording because you can only record up to 30 minutes in your web browser. So, yeah, going to have to stop it right here, and then we'll start a new recording. Alright, continuing on with where we left off. Bitterman, off screen. Brock, interior, Bitterman's office. Office, night. Bitterman, the Daily Weekly's tight-fisted publisher, holds court behind his cluttered desk. Behind him are framed editions of the Daily Weekly's illustrious back issues along with the slogan, the scum always rises. Evie sits opposite. Evie sits opposite Bitterman, nursing a black eye, looking like a kid who's been called in to see the principal. Bitterman, that windshield's coming out of your pay. I know. Evie says that. Bitterman sifts through his desk, finds some coffee-stained pages. Bitterman, another thing. The story you wrote here on the mayor's crime record? Yeah, it sucks. But it's Evie, but it's true. Bitterman, I don't care if it's true. I need dirt. I need mute. I need mute mutants, bat boys, satanic cults, leukemia kids, breast implants. Eddie, look, I just thought. Bitterman, cutting him off. You thought. You thought. See, you thought. See, that's your problem. Our readers, our readers don't think. They eat. They watch. 
Rolanda. They buy lotto tickets. They call the psychic lines. Are you starting to catch my drift yet? Why do you waste my time with crap like this? Throwing the pages at Eddie. We shuffle crap, not news. All right, so what's the problem? There's something wrong with the gutter? You think you're too good for us? Eddie slouches in his chair, disgusted with himself. Eddie, I used to have some scruples. Bitterman, yeah, and I used to be the Pope. You're a loser now, Brock. Face it, you had your 15 minutes of fame, and you blew it. That's why you're working for me, shaking his head. You're pathetic, you know that? You can't even stand up for yourself. If you had even an ounce of self-esteem left in you, you'd haul your, your butt out of here. But you won't, will you? You're completely spineless. Eddie thinks about it, tempted, but then he just deflates. Eddie, look, no. Look, Bitterman, I need this job. I need the money. Bitterman smiles wickedly. Bitterman, well, too bad, because you're fired. What? Eddie, disbelief, what? Bitterman, you heard me. Pack up your things, your history. Cut to. Interior, Daily Weekly Building, Outer Hallway, Night. Eddie exits the Daily Weekly offices, looking dazed, cl clutching a cardboard box with his belonging, with his belongings. Faust is lounging in the stairwell, taking a smoke break. Faust, tough luck, huh, Eddie? Huh, Eddie? Eddie nods, starts off down the hall. Hey, Faust, hey. Eddie looks back. Faust is holding up the garden gnome. Many assaulted them with. Faust, you forgot your gnome. Keep it? Eddie, keep it. Or Eddie, keep it? Faust, actually grateful. Really? Eddie turns back, disgusted, walks away. Cut to. Exterior, City Street, night. Eddie's still clutching his box, is jostled, is jostled this way and that as he makes his way through a crush of humanity. The street is an orgy, is an orgy of blaring noise and bright lights. Car alarm, screams, laughter. Also, I want to say, I think I'm going to turn this into a, I think we're going to turn this into a, a series. Uh, we're going to like um, the Chronicles of Narnia. So, yeah. Wanted to put that out there. All right. Where were we? Store, storefront bunkers selling ch cheap but electronics, drug dealers, hookers, a, a legless beggar, religious fanatics, every one of them vying for Evie's attention. Up ahead, we see here, we see here someone yell stop and see a purse snatcher charging towards us. He crashes into Evie, sending his box of things flying, clothes, clothes on one item. As it skitters into the gutter, a framed newspaper column from the Daily Globe from the Daily Globe. The title of the column is Venom. Just beneath it, there's a staff photo of Eddie taking them brighter days, back when he actually had a wife. Eddie stoops to reach for it, but the lemming-like press of humanity, of humanity prevents him from retrieving it. By the time the coast is cleared, a transit bus has rumbled up to the curb, crushing the column into oblivion. Eddie, hey. The bus driver flips Eddie off, guiding the bus away again, coughing up a cloud of diesel exhaust into Eddie's face. That was unnecessary. I think so, but whatever. Cut to exterior, the deep, night. Eddie climbs up the stairs from the subway entrance. She's a trash can, angrily dumps his belongings into it. Across the street is a hole-in-the-wall bar, the deep. Interior, the deep, night. Low watt light, smoke-heavy atmosphere, a couple of ulcerated vinyl cushioned booths, booths, vents, vinks, or vinks, V-I-N-X, it's spelled V-I-N-N-X, so I think it's vink, vinks, anyway, vinks, vinks works the stick, Rochelle, the barmaid, wipes down the counter, She's got a kind heart buried somewhere beneath that haggard exterior. At the pool table, a hatchet-faced bru bruiser named Dougal is holding court with a half-dozen drunken lowlifes. Low lives. Among them, two luminaries named Mickey and Skez. They're loud, obnoxious, basically t terrorizing the other patrons. Dougal tries to pinch Rochelle's butt as she walks by. 
Eddie holds Vigil in a corner booth, nursing a beer. Rochelle takes a seat opposite him, nods in Dougal's direction. The low lives are currently engaged in a, engaged in a burping contest. Rochelle, nice, huh? What a bunch of jerks. Eddie, you shouldn't let them push you around like that. Rochelle, why rock the boat? It'll just get them angrier, shaking her head. I should sell this dump, I swear. It's not worth the trouble. She lights a cigarette, A cigarette. Stubbies, Ed, stubbies Eddie a moment. Rochelle, how's it going, Eddie? You look tired. Eddie, oh, it's going great. I lost my job. I'm late on my rent. Rochelle, girlfriend left me and my dog died. Amen to that. Eddie slumps back in the seat, sighs heavily. Even his troubles are cliché. Eddie, you ever wish you could just start over? Be someone else? Rochelle, Audrey Hep Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. But what can you do? People like you and me, we were born a step behind. Eddie, we could catch up. There's still time. Re Dougal, I could walk over there right now and ask that guy to apologize. Rochelle grins, shaking her head. Rochelle, you're sweet, Eddie, but let them let let's face it, you're not exactly you're not exactly the George Pepper type, Eddie. So who am I then, Rochelle? You know that skinny guy on the back of the on the on the back of those comic books, the one that always gets sand kicked in his face. Rochelle shrugs apolog apologetically, points a finger at Eddie. He smiles, taking it in stride. Eddie, don't laugh. I actually sent away for one of those bodybuilding books when I was a kid. Rochelle and Eddie, it never showed up. Rochelle, my point exactly. Rochelle grins, then glances at. A TV above the bar. Wendy Markham, a reporter, is doing a spot cast. An on-screen legend appears at the bottom at the bottom of the screen. Live from Death Row. Dougal, turn it up. Vink, Vinks, slides down the bar, reaches for the volume knob. Markham on screen. Wendy, Mar Wendy Markham, broadcasting live just outside the gates of Stark State, of Stark. State Prison on the eve of this unprecedented event. At precisely noon tomorrow, convicted serial killer Cletus Cassidy, aka Carnage, is scheduled to be put on death on death is scheduled to be put to, to be put to death in what promises to be our nation's first publicly televised execution. The camera cuts to a still of Cletus Cassidy. Instantly recognizable, despite some twenty odd years, despite some twenty odd years, same fiery red hair, bushy eyebrows, perpetually amused smile. Dougal and his fellow cronies whoop enthusiastically, hoisting their beers in salute. Rochelle stares at the screen, shaking her head in disgust. Rochelle, televised ex execution. What's wrong with this world, anyway? Eddie's face hardens, his eyes filling with hatred. Eddie, nothing a few strate strategically placed tactical nukes can clear up. And as Dougal's crew starts start chaining carnage, carnage, cut to, this is where I stopped originally yesterday, but we're going to continue on. Exterior, Stark State Prison. Night, a full-scale media circus in, in under in underway or is underway. It's meant. I think it's meant meant to say, news crews with broadcast vans, state troopers, even a few ghoulish concession vendors selling Carnage Rules T-shirts. T-shirts. On one side are the hate mongers, brandishing signs with slogans, brandishing signs with slogans like "Burn, baby, burn." And I like mine extra crispy. On the other are the Carnage groupies. Amidst this, Wendy Markham continues her spotcast. If I said him earlier, my bad. It's a lady. Um. So yeah. Um. Markham Cassidy, whose reign of terror began. When he murdered his own mother spent the remainder of his childhood at the St. Estes Psychiatric Hospital for Emotionally Impaired Youth. 
Oh, so in the movie, it was going to be his mother. But in the comics, it's his grandma. It's his grandma, right? I'll do this later. Sorry. Insert photos of young Cassidy in a straight jacket being subdued by orderlies. Markham, off screen. Cassidy distinguished himself again at the age of four 14. While engineering an escape from St. Estes, the resulting fire took the lives of six people, earning Cassidy the nickname of Carnage. Insert various newspaper headlines charting Carnage's cross-country mayhem. Markham, off screen. A series of brutal, a brutal killings followed over the years, documented in uncanny detail by former Globe col columnist Detail. Followed document documented in uncanny detail by former Globe columnist Edward Bro Edward Brock, himself a one-time ward of St. Estes. Insert photo of Eddie, his publicity photo for the for the Venom column. Markham. Cassidy eventually fell prey to an elaborate to an elaborate undercover operation which Brock himself played the unwitting bait. Sentenced to die by electrocution, having exhausted all legal avenues of appeal, Cletus Cassidy now stands ready to pay the ultimate price for his brutal for his brutal crimes. A final insert of the death chamber. Camera moves in on the empty electric chair, oak with leather straps, with leather straps. The lights dim dramatically as we, sorry for the noise in the background. Hopefully one day we won't have to deal with that, but for now, this is the best we can do. But let's continue. Um, Cut back to exterior, Stark, state prison, night. Wendy, having affected a suitably somber-faced pout, now steps to the side, gesturing to the prison behind her. Markham, we take you now to Cassidy's cell on death row, where action news reporter Jose Delgado, where, where action news reporter Jose Delgado chats with the killer in a, an exclusive interview. Cut to interior. Stark State Prison, Cassidy's cell, night. Shock show host Jose Delgado, movie star good looks and a Q rating to die for, sits across from Cassidy. Cassidy wear, wears a standard issue orange death row t-shirt along with a matching pair of manacles, of manacles and leg irons. A TV crew crouches just beyond the boundaries of the hot broadcast lights. Among them we find Warden Alton DeMille and, psychi and psychiatrist Rachel Kafka. DeMille is a by-the-books bureaucrat. Kafka is a horse of a different color, of a different color, intense, driven, the kind of woman who could stare down the devil himself and has during her marathon shrink sessions with Cassidy. Delgado strikes his best Emmy-winning pose. Delgado, do you think you're insane, Cletus? Cassidy, depends on your definition. My shrink, Dr. Dr. Kafka, and her house of mental hygiene Gave me a clean bill of health. She even wrote a book about me, didn't you, Doc? Cassidy nods toward, towards Kafka, giving her a wink. Outside the cell, Captain Pugh, chief screw, chief screw at the Stark facility, joins Demille and Kafka. He stares at, Ka at Cassidy with contempt. Pugh, look at him. Son of a bee is having the time of his life. Demille, Demille, Demille. The public, the public's fascination with Cassidy will pass. Give it time. The press will, the press will dig up another bone to worry over. Kafka shaking her head. You're wrong, Warden. He's become a pop icon. He'll be immortal now, just like Manson. Phew. No thanks to people like you. You ask me. I think it's sick. State spends millions of dollars just so Carrot Top here can have his 15 minutes of fame. I heard they're making a, a, I think that's supposed to say a movie about him. What's going to be next? A goddamn video game? All right, gotta go. All right, continuing on from where I left off. Gonna read a little bit more, and then this is gonna be the end of it. Inside the cell, Delgado continues the in, the interview. Delgado, Delgado, are you afraid to be electrocuted? Cletus, Cassidy, 2,000 volts, 
I'd imagine that'd be enough to get anybody's motor running. I figure I'm in good company. More. Cassidy. Continue. Though, Bundy, Albert, Albert Fish, Starkweather, Delgado. You, you, you admire, admi admire them? Cassidy. I admire what they are trying to accomplish. Delgado, which is what? Cassidy. Chaos. Chaos. This is serious work I'm engaging in. Proselytizing for the good ministry of fear. I'm not talking about finger painting here. I'm talking about making a difference. Sharing the pain. Delgado. And you feel no remorse for your victims? Cassidy. You mean the fear heads? Please. Does a tornado feel remorse? A tidal wave? I'm a force of nature, Delgado. An act of God. I kill. Therefore, therefore I am. Cassidy nukes Delgado with a lethal stare. Delgado glances at his producer, uneasy. Well, Delgado, well, I see that our time is just about up. Any parting words for the people at home? Cassidy, sure, I'd like to say hello to my I'd like to say hello to my number one pal. Cassidy turns now, staring directly into the camera. Cassidy, I know you're watching, Eddie. Somewhere out in TV land. Come down to the prison tomorrow. More. Cassidy, continue. Watch me fry. I know how much you love a good barbecue. Interior, the deep, night. Eddie stares at the TV, gripped by remorse and anger. Eddie, don't worry, you son of a bee. I'll be there. At that moment, Dougal approaches, looking from the TV to Eddie and back again. Dougal. Hey, wait a minute. You're that reporter guy. To the other, heads up, people, got, got ourselves a celebrity here. The other drunks crowd around Eddie. He tries to slink away, uncomfortable, but Dougal collars him. Dougal, I thought I recognized you. So what was it like, reporter man? Give, give, give us the scoop on Uncle Carnage. Share the pain. The mention of Cassidy's nickname sends the group into another round of Carnage, Carnage chanting. Eddie, you people think Cassidy's funny? You think he's some kind of joke? The man's a homicidal maniac. He's killed dozens of people. Dougal suddenly turns nasty, grabbing a fistful of Eddie's shirt, yanking him forward. Dougal, you better watch what you better watch what you say, Chumpy. You're talking about the main man. Behind the ball, Rochelle tries to defuse the situation. Rochelle, take it easy, Dougal. Dougal, Dougal, shut your mouth, Rochelle, or, he'll, or I'll come over there and shut it for you. Rochelle glances at Vinks, who reaches for the phone. Dougal, don't even try it, old man. Eddie, look, I was getting ready to leave anyway. Dougal shoves Eddie back. He trips, falling flat on his face. Dougal upends a glass of beer over Eddie's head. The lowlifes, the lowlifes howl. Dougal, so leave, puss. Eddie picks himself up. Dougal gives him a boot in the, in the butt for good measure. Rochelle comes around the bar, helping Eddie up. He's angry. Contemplating retaliation, Dougal, goading him on. Come on, Chumpy, take take a shot. Rochelle, Sado, do yourself a favor, Eddie. Just keep quiet. Just keep quiet. Get out of here. Eddie swallows his rage, turns away as she escorts Eddie towards the door. Dougal shouts after them. Dougal, and don't and don't come and don't come back. You sorry butt sack of crap. Cut to exterior space. The symbiote launch pod roars past the moon, making a bee making a beeline for Earth. As it punches through the atmosphere, the launch pod ignites, flaring up like a failing like a falling star. Cut to exterior intersection night. Eddie wanders, drenched, defeated, looking for all the world like just another homeless loser. He crosses the, he crosses the street, narrow narrowly avoiding a speeding cab. The cab, the cabbie honks, screaming obscenities. Eddie could care less. He slumps against us, against the storefront, then sees Cassidy's grinning face over and over again, staring at him from a bookstore window display. Multiple copies of a book entitled Carnage, Face of the Abyss, by Dr. Rachel Kafka. Eddie, you're never gonna let me go. You're never gonna let me go, are you, Cassidy? Voice off screen. Hey. Eddie turns. An automatic is pointed in his face. Pinto. 
The gun, the gun's frenzied owner dances back and forth, wired behind Pinto. A two more would-be mug muggers. Pinto, give me your money. Eddie laughs in disbelief. What else could possibly go wrong? Pinto shoves the gun closer, crunching Eddie's nose. Pinto, are you deaf, man? I said give me your money now. Eddie, beyond caring now, holds his wallet out to Pinto. Eddie, sure, why not? Take it. While you're at it, maybe you, maybe you could do me a favor and just shoot me too. Pinto snatches the wallet away. Quickly riffling through it, he comes up with a single, a single dollar dollar bill. Pinto, a dollar? One freaking dollar? That's not even gonna buy me a pack of cigarettes. Eddie checking his pockets. I might have some change. Whoop! Pinto slugs Eddie in the stomach. He doubles over, sinks to his knees. Pinto waves the gun, waves the gun around, furious. Pinto, man, I ought to cap you. It's not the guy's fault that he's broke. Like, come on now. Whatever. Mugger one. Pop some, pop some nines in his face, Pinto. Smoke his shoes. Eddie winces, sucks air. He looks up at Pinto and sees a falling star dropping down from the sky overhead. Eddie, pointing. There's something behind you. Pinto, you gotta be kidding me. You think I'm gonna fall for that? But now a faint whistle, whistling sound, rapidly gaining in volume. It sounds like an incoming mortar, mortar, mortar shell. Pinto looks up. He just has enough time for one wide-eyed gasp before wham! The launch pod hammers Pinto and his co cohorts into ground round, taking out a good portion of the street along with it. Beat, beat. Neighborhood dogs start barking. A haze of smoke and ejecta particles hangs over the hangs over the street. Slowly clearing, gradually, gradually, we see a steaming crater, some 50 feet wide, filled with tangled, twisted metal, chunks of asphalt, severed water mains, and at the center of this mess, at practically ground zero, we find Eddie, buried beneath a blanket of debris. He sits up, coughing his face, he sits up, coughing, coughing his face smeared with soup. The fact that he's alive is nothing short of miraculous. The still glowing launch pod rests before him, emitting a series of crackling sighs. With a sudden with a sudden hiss, a seam in the pod splits open. Eddie scuffles back, wary. A black tar-like substance burbles out, pooling on the ground, pooling on the ground like a like a egg yolk seeping from its shell. A skeletal fig figure is revealed within. The six-limbed alien, deceased, host for the other. Now nothing more than a desiccated dis, 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 husk. Eddie is too astonished by the sight before him, before him to notice the black puddle cont continuing to expand, sloshing up over the soles of his shoe. Finally, he looks down, grimaces. With blinding speed, the protein other swells, in, 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 Enveloping Eddie in its glistening embrace. Eddie's horrific screams pre-lap over into the next scene as we cut to interior, the deep night. And that's where we're going to stop for today. Uh, yeah. <laughs>